Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, check one, check, check, check. Mic check. <laughs> uh, I, at some level, I always want an opportunity to do that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy who has to do it for a job, but I do think it'd be fun to be in a huge stadium or auditorium of, you know, 50,000 people and do mic checks. Just be like, check one, check, check. <laughs> Sorry, I probably just drove my producer crazy. All right. Mike is working. We are on to the next episode of the epic narrative. We're in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 11. We're going to take a look at Abram's. In the future, he will be known as Abraham. We're going to take a look at Abram's family history. Now, I'll just, just so you know, there are just basic outlines, right, in, in the Bible. The Bible is written as an outline. It's written as, as bullet points of a major, what do they call it, meta-narrative, uh, and, and basically, it's it's like, don't forget to say these things because these things are really important to the rest of the story, which was passed on orally. It was passed on through conversation, through interaction. And as the bullet points would be stated, which was they were often memorized, you'd memorize the bullet points so that you didn't forget the, the, the key things that, that should be remembered throughout history. But the rest of it was often considered just so well-known information that no one would ever forget. No one's going to ever forget these things. So what's written down are just the things that need to make sure to be touched on. So we will touch on those things. I will read for you what the scripture says regarding the history of, of Abraham Abram's uh, family. But <laughs> we are definitely diving into extra biblical activities today. <laughs> Not extraterrestrial. We've done that before in previous chapters. <laughs> We actually have, actually. That's not that's not a joke. That's no joke, Bob. You actually have talked about extraterrestrials. I know. That's yeah, my podcast. I do what I want. So we're gonna look at extra biblical uh, references. Now I'm not gonna actually give you the name of the books because I didn't necessarily read those books. I read excerpts from those books. I read online. Uh, recordings of those books, like just printed out, typed out translations of chapters from various Syrian histories, Muslim histories. Uh, some of this stuff is in the uh, uh, Quran, the Quran. Yes. Uh, some of this stuff is in the Quran. Abraham is a, Abram at this point is a, you know, a vital father of the faith to not just Christianity, but also Judaism and uh, Muslims. So the history of Abram is something that all of them have access to and have tried to keep alive because he's considered a father of the faith. And quite honestly, that's a true title to have for him because he is connected to three of the major historical religions of the world. Those those three religions, uh, Christianity really, you know, kind of was birthed out of Judaism after Jesus Christ. So 
really Judaism and Muslim Muslimism, Islam, that's the word, Islam, start with this guy. And Islam comes from one of his sons, and Judaism comes from the other. So this guy is the father of the faith, and it he his life impacts the world and has impacted the world for thousands of years. Even if you have a young earth concept, thousands of years. So it's uh, I think it's the extra biblical input is really uh, interesting, and uh, it's very. Uh, this is I chuckled because this some of this stuff was like not even ever touched on in my Christian world, and 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 you can see why you'll you'll find out when you when you listen to it. Those of you who have only ever had a Christian education, you know, like me, uh, although I went to public school through eighth grade, like church four times a week. Uh, then I went to a private Christian high school. Then I went to Christian. Bible Institute and then Christian College and I've been in church you know uh, at some level full or part-time since I was 19 years old so it's been a long time they never touched on some of these things that are like written down and recorded in the Islamic history and in the Jewish Jewish history as for them it's just a fact of Abraham's life or Abram's life at this point. I know it's not a, it's not Abraham yet. I will probably interchange those as as we go. So please, you know, don't. I, I do know that some are like real sticklers for details. Like Bobby's not Abraham yet. I know, I know, it's Abram. It's similar to calling Adam and Eve Adam and Eve, all the way through, you know, till chapter four when they actually become Adam and Eve. You just naturally do that, even though technically they were known as man and woman. So, uh, yeah, be patient. Be patient with me. I try very hard. So we're going to take a look. Genesis 11. Technically, we're going to start with verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Aphrodite. It's a great name. I like it. Uh, But again, these are not that these are the only sons he had. These are the ones that um, birthed other significant people that birthed tribes and cities and nations because of the children that they had and multiple years that they lived. But it just goes on through all of this. Now, listen, just because you live a long life, 300, 400, 500 years old, it doesn't mean that you have a lot of children, but it could. And you can look at these lists and just say, well, these are the only children he had, but then you just don't have enough people for the story. So they had to have had other children, other sons and daughters. Had and, and it says that in the phrase, had other sons and daughters, had other sons and daughters, had other sons and daughters. We don't know what that number is. Now, I do know mathematicians that have broken this down. They come up with averages for each year. They come up with uh, you know how old these kids were when they got married, how many children they could have had between this time and this time, when when the you know the female reproduction system might have shut down. Which, you know, I, 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 I've never had a baby. Ta-da! We know. I'm a boy. But I don't know. I don't know. What would it be like to give birth when you're 200, 300, 400 years old? I mean, I just that's just the idea, uh, even as a father, the idea of watching and taking care of an infant and then a crawler and then a toddler and and raising them. <laughs> when I'm 150 years old, 
200 years old, 300 years old. It's, it's, it's mind numbing. Like I was literally just holding my head together, trying to think of it, the impact that it would have. The flip side is I'm thinking from a Western mindset, not a multi-generational community of, of family where I'm not the only one that's three or 400 years old, where I'm not the only one still having children. Uh, and because we're all family, the idea of communal living and communal care is really important. And so there would be at some, I would title it, there would be some level of a daycare facility within the village or within the, the tribe of or clan's uh, tent city that they put up where they're where they're building the city and they're building buildings and they're putting together uh you know whatever they that you put together when you build a city or a village so these sort of things are going on and it would have been natural for those uh child care things to be developed and over time uh literally over a long period of time you just get into that rhythm so i don't know what it would be like but it is something <laughs> If you're sitting in the car, you know, just let your imagination run, have the discussion over dinner, say, what, what do you think it would be like if, you know, if mom and dad had children when they were a hundred years old, you know, mom and dad, would you, if, would you want another child? Like look at your parents if they're in their fifties or sixties and just say, so would you want to keep having children? Now, I think that, that they did because it was expected. Like we don't think that way because we have got such a death mentality in our culture and, and I don't mean that lightly. We just think of death always coming. We, we just, we, and we, we preach it to people, right? We, we tell it to them as, as teenagers and in their 20s. It's like, well, enjoy it now because when you hit 30, you know, life starts going downhill. When you hit 40, you're going to really start to feel that. When you hit 50, things start to break down and you're just not going to be doing well, you know, I hope you can enjoy life in your 60s because that's, you know, when you finally retire, you have like maybe five or 10 years that you, you know, need to get out and do all the things that you wanted to do before you die because the odds of you making it past six, you know, 75 are pretty slim. And by the time you're 80, really, you're just a drag on society at that point. And there's some people who literally believe that, unfortunately. And they figure, you know, they, they, they believe in mercy killings and euthanasia, the idea of like, hey, when you reach a certain point, you're just draining everything in society. We have to, we have to spend our resources to keep you alive. And for what? What's your quality of life when you're 85 or 95 or 105? Very few make it that far. But, but what, you know, what's your quality of life? At that point, you're just a, you know, a mass of doctor's visits supplements, uh, vaccines, <laughs> and and treatments to, to stay alive. For what reason? So we have this death mentality, generally speaking, in our culture. It's, it's, it's very prominent, very prominent. And it's, and it's become, it, it's, a, it's an issue. It's an issue. We need to stop that mentality and think long-term. So much of, of this, I think, ties into that principle that's in the creation, which is you reap what you sow. And if all you do is, is think to yourself, oh, dude, I'm 50. I've got maybe 20, 25 years left in my life. Dude, I'm like 35, like I, I, 30 more years. I got I to gotta get my life together. I got to start making better decisions. I got to start putting away money for retirement because I've only got 
30, 35 years left and I'm dead. I better make sure, you know, listen, we're, we're closing in on 40. If I don't have a child, I've got no legacy to come behind me. I've got no idea if I'll ever be remembered. It's bizarre, but our death mentality impacts so much of what of what we do and how we do it. But if we start to think, I'm not going to die at 70. I'm not going to die at 80. I might not even die at 180. I mentioned this before. Science says there's really no reason why somebody can't live past 150 years old, except we put you know stuff in our bodies and we have this that this you know, unhealthy lifestyle that breaks us down. Something breaks down because of abuse of some level, and we die. But we don't have to. I find that amazing, and I don't plan on breaking down. I, I shifted my mentality probably about five or six years ago. Uh, I remember my birthday. It was my 50th birthday, and me and the Lord had a little conversation. He said, Bob, how much longer do you want to go? And I really believe he asked me that question. I said, I want to go 200 more years. And he chuckled, and he basically said, well, if that's all, that's fine. So you'll die at 250? I was like, ah. Uh. <laughs> I said, can we have this conversation again when I'm 200? And he's like, yeah, sure. We can have the conversation anytime. So I've amended that conversation and said, let's let's get to, you know, I definitely want to get to 250. There's no way around that. And I'm just approaching life from that mindset. I approach it with whatever I'm currently doing. You know, I'm in my 50s. I don't look at it like I'm even halfway through my life. It changes the way you approach everything, even the way you approach relationships, the way you approach finances, the way you approach resourcing yourself. I don't look at it and say, oh my gosh, like I've got to, I just got to have enough to make it until I can get to a nursing home somewhere in my 80s. And, and then maybe the, you know, the state will take care of me like the state. Oh Lord, like I would trust, unfortunately, unfortunately, there is such a level of of expectation of lies from the government in my mind that I can't, I can't, uh, blows my mind. I'm like, wow, I, I have, I tolerate so much deception because of the culture I'm in. I, I plan like whenever I buy a vehicle, I figure, well, I know, I know they're lying about something, you know, whenever a politician is, is up and I'm talking and I'm thinking, well, they're, they're lying about a lot of that. They're, uh, it's terrible. I know. I know. Okay. Enough of my personal problems. Are we going to get on? <laughs> Have we read a verse yet? Holy cow, Bob. Why didn't you yell at me? Oh, you like, <laughs> you thought what I said was actually interesting. Well, that's interesting that you don't interrupt me when you think I'm being interesting. All right. Well, good. So here we go. Verse 24 of chapter 11. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. Now, after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years. So he lived, he's a 20, 29 years plus 119 years. And he had other sons and daughters. So a bunch of other kids. But Terah was important. Why? Because Terah, when he was 70, who knows how many sons and daughters he had before this, he became the father of three key figures, Abram. Nahor, who's named after the grandfather, and Haran. Now, Haran is also the name of, uh, uh, very similar, spelled very similar to the city of Haran. And I say that differently on purpose because 
they're spelled virtually the same. The city Haran has two R's, and the name Haran Haran has one R, but it's just it's the same. Other than that, it's identical. So here we go. These three people, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the this is the account, verse 27. This is the account of Terah family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. If you are, you know, read anything ahead in this story, you know that Lot is Abram's nephew and he takes care of him. And I'll get into why he takes care of him based on the extracurricular, extracurricular, extra biblical uh, information found in both the Jewish and uh, Islamic teachings. So uh, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. That's where he was born, probably why he got the name Haran. Abram and Nahor, Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. Wait, what? Oh, that sounds sick. So Haran dies, but his brother married one of his daughters. He was also the father of Milcah, both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she uh, was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, who was already dead, the daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of, of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, or Haran, they settled there, and they lived 200, he, Terah lived 250 years, and he, then he died in Haran. All right. Wow. Here we go. So Terah at 70 had three more sons. When you have three sons, at the very least, right, you got uh, 9, 18, 27 months. That's if, they, if he pumped them out one after the other. Abram marries Sarai, Nahor, Nahor Hor marries Haran's daughter, Milcah. I know, it's crazy. Terah moves to Canaan, but is stopped in Haran. He stays there until Terah dies, till he dies. He stays there. Now, this is where the, some of the extra-biblical activity comes from. The legend is that Terah was loyal to Nimrod, not just loyal but he actually worked for him. If you, if you go back to the beginning of this episode, you know that we are dealing with the account of Shem, Shem's family line. So Shem is family's line. If you remember yesterday, or yesterday, the last episode, you know that, that uh, Nimrod comes from Ham's family line. If you remember several episodes ago, you know that Ham's family line had been cursed by Big Daddy Noah to serve Shem and Japheth's family, that they would be servants to the world. Now, go back to our story about Nimrod. Nimrod, if you remember, was the greatest hunter in the world and had become, in essence, a tyrannical dictator in the area of, of Assyria, a huge huge land mass in which he ruled 
over every village, city, and town, and it called them all together to build a massive city with a huge waterproof tower so that he could defy God. Because in his mind, God had cursed him and his family line to be servants of the world, and I think part of his tyrannical mindset was, I will not serve anyone, they will all serve me and my family line. Ham will be redeemed through my rulership. So now you got Terah, who comes from Shem, who theoretically Nimrod should be working for if we're going to follow the curse of Noah. But this is all part of the dynamic, the family line ancestral dynamic of why I think Nimrod was so set on making sure that everyone served him. I think he was trying to break the curse. Nimrod is is ruling the world. Terra, well, the known his known world. Terra was loyal to Nimrod. Terra, uh, Nimrod expected. Oh, okay. Nimrod had had this again extra biblical. Nimrod has in his history a prophetic word from one of his. I don't know. If you want to call them sorcerers, fine. Wise men, fine. Astronomers, fine. Astrologers, fine. Whatever you want. Magicians, whatever. He had been told that there would be a challenger to his rulership, which is not like if you, <laughs> this is not a like a hard thing to predict, right? I'm sure anybody who who did anything in the realm of spiritual readings, like how tough is it to say, listen, eventually you're going to rule, your rule will be un, you know, unquestioned in the, in the nations. And he's like, yes, but there will one day rise a challenger. Well, in his head, it has to be somebody from outside the family of Ham. Somebody outside the family is going to come after me. So he's been, you know, he's, he's alert to this. This reminds me a little bit of uh, the storyline. I know it was a super cheesy movie. What was the name of that movie? The Scorpion King. Right, So he knew that there would be a challenger. Somebody was going to come after him. Uh, and I think the, the, the bad guy of the Scorpion King is based off of Nimrod. And he instead, uh, you know, insisted, insisted on absolute loyalty of people who worked for him. And Terra had constantly renewed his loyalty to Nimrod. Terah had a job under Nimrod. He was an idol maker and a priest under Nimrod. It is said that, that Terah invented gods for each month of the year so that he could perpetuate the sale of idols and the worship of those gods each month. So he became very high up in the you know, in the echelons of influence on uh, on Nimrod. He was somebody who was always seen, because every month they would have some sort of national day of worship, and Terra oversaw those days, and Nimrod would be there. But of course, Nimrod was always noted as a, as a greater god than all of them. And Terra always made sure that Nimrod was, you know, was seen as somebody who would always be over all the other gods. 
So he moves to a city that is overseen by Nimrod. He lives there. Now, Abraham, or Abram, sorry, he would have had uh, connections. He would have seen all these idols. He would have he would have heard about how awesome his father is, how connected his father was to the spirit realm. His father would have had dreams and visions and heard voices of gods that he would have interacted with. So the idea of God speaking to you and telling you to do something really strange was not outside of the realm of Abram's upbringing. He understood that kind of culture where God speaks to you. A lot of times, you know, without this kind of history, we think Abram's just kind of wandering around one day and God says, go to Ur the Chaldees. And he's like, all right. I mean, I don't know who you are, but whatever you say. But listen, listen to some of this stuff that we that we pick up. Abraham, Abram was born Shem. When Abram was born, Shem was 390 years old. I did not do the math on my own. I looked that up. Noah was 892 years old. Tradition says that Abram... Some would say in in rebellion to his father. Some would say in connection to his, his history through Noah. Abram didn't like to worship idols. He believed in one God. So Abram sent, uh, sorry, Terah sends Abram to be raised by Noah for 50 years. Noah educates Abram on the ways of God. He talked to Abram. He, he hung out with Abram. He knew who Abram's father was. He knew that Abram's father was a high priest. He knew that his father made idols. He knew that his father literally invented gods for people to worship. And Noah understood that if we keep going down this path, it's going to lead to death. So Abram learned from Noah at age 10. And he understands the concepts that are going on in the world and where it leads. And he understands it from firsthand accounts. And also remember that Noah had been alive and had firsthand accounts of the garden, of the, of the you know, being removed from the garden, of the results of the lack of repentance. He would have had firsthand accounts from Noah Noah had firsthand accounts, I mean, of Cain and Abel and what murder does and how it perpetuates things and how Lemek uh, also perpetuated it and made it even worse. Noah would have taught all that to Abram. So he gets a, a, an amazing education from Noah personally. Now, because of Nimrod's... Uh, focus on, on keeping everybody loyal. Tara knew that if his son ever, you know, got discovered, it would be a big problem because he was clearly uh, discipled into a one God uh, mindset, a mono, monotheistic mindset through Noah. And Tara understood that. But his father knew, hey, listen, I'm a leader under Nimrod. And if, and if he follows one God, and he obviously was discipled with Noah, and Noah understands all that's going on, this is going to be an issue. 
I mean, I'm a high priest. I'm a craftsman of idols. At age 48, at age 48, Abram hears about this tower being built. At age 50, he goes home. So he spent 50 or 40 years with Noah before he gets back to see Terah. At, at the time, the, I assume the tower is still going. I don't know how long the tower was actually built before God confused their languages, but it had to be at least a couple years. It it had, I would think it was a couple years. I actually don't know. I'm, I'm guessing somebody does know. I should have looked that one up. That's a good one. Look that up. Do your own research, everyone. <laughs> so he gets home at age 50, and it's it's noted, I believe in this, this is in the Islamic teaching, that the stargazers, the astronomers, astrologers, astrologers, speaks to they speak to Nimrod that the challenger to his rulership is here. There's like there he's in the region. So Nimrod gets nervous. They start to look for him. He sends out these uh, spiritual leaders to find the one who would challenge his leadership. This is not unusual for um, uh, you know uh, angry, now, dict dictators, angry dictators. You don't have to be angry to be a dictator. You can be quite benevolent and be a dictator. But dictator mindsets, right? Uh, uh, Single-minded leadership. You, uh, <laughs> they get very threatened easily. They feel threatened very easily. That's what I meant to say. That first sentence I don't think actually translates correctly. They feel threatened very easily. So when they're his spiritual advisors of which Tara would have been considered one of them, come to him and say, listen, the challenger to your leadership, the challenger to your position of ruler of this land is in the area. They start searching and they search until they find him and they find Abra and he's whatever, 60 years old. He's been married to Sarai for a while. They still have no children. It says that he is cast into a fire pit and he comes out unharmed. So Nimrod, and again, I know this is extra biblical theory based on ancient writings and oral traditions, but think about it. Just put it in the line of what if this actually happened? Abram gets found out by spiritualists whatever their names were. They pick him out of a crowd or they find him in the house. It's Terah's son. Terah's the high priest. He has to show loyalty to Nimrod or he's going to die. He's focusing on his son. He feels badly about this, but he sent him away to Noah. Noah trained him in monotheistic theology. He only believes in one God. He doesn't worship Nimrod. He doesn't worship any of the idols that his father had made. And he's, he's going to be disciplined. He's going to be cast into a fiery pit. Similar, right, to another story we know in Scripture. But Abraham, Abram comes out unharmed. And Nimrod gets very nervous. Because clearly, that's not something he can do. 
he can't walk through the fire pit and walk I mean come out the other side unharmed and he's not going to walk through it right now to try and prove himself wrong. He decides why don't we keep this guy on our side? So it gives Abram a ton of gifts including a lifelong servant named Eliezer who is a character that we see throughout the, the time of, of Abram. And Eliezer comes from Nimrod, so I don't know if he was a follower of all the idols, but I'm guessing he's somebody that Nimrod greatly trusted to bring him information should Abram ever put together a coalition to come up against him. And Abram receives all of these gifts, and in the in within that realm, the brother Haran declares that he is going to now follow the God of Abraham, or Abram. He's like, I'm going to be loyal to Abram. He shifts his loyalty from Nimrod to Abram. Now, maybe he was a part of the family business. Maybe he was sick and tired of the of the lies and the deceptions and the and the goofy idols that he knows he was just carving out of regular everyday wood. And you could throw them in the fire and they would burn, or you could throw them down, you know, carve them out of rock and throw them down the cliff and they would break. Like clearly, these things don't aren't real. They carry with them no spiritual power. Maybe he's just exhausted. Maybe his brother gets back from uh, 40 years with with Noah, and he's so passionate about this God of the universe, so passionate about this God of love that created the world from this uh, from this beautiful thing called the beginning, and it's filled with light and hope. And the frequency of creation is available. We can get ourselves in tune with what's going on. We can bring about the miraculous. We can shift atmospheres. We can we can change the way atoms interact with one another. And we can pull together an amazing thing. And he's so excited. And and Heron is listening to his brother and realizing, man, this guy's onto something. I love the way he talks. I I'm I'm with you. But then when he sees his brother walk out of a fiery pit unharmed, he says, that's it. I'm following him. I'm done with Nimrod. I'm done with the family business. I'm done with, you know, with the idols. Wherever Abram tells me to go, I'm going. And in that moment, Nimrod won't have it, right? He's not going to see Abram's miracle turn into something of a rebellion against him. So he, he, takes Haran, and he kills him immediately. And because he dies right away, it kind of squashes all these people thinking, if we follow Abram, we'll all be immortal. It was quite clear that was not going to happen. So all the the rebellious mindsets just calm down. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Abram's unique. He's somebody to keep an eye on. But clearly, we can't burn him to death. So there's, there'll be other ways to take him down. And we have a good inside man, Eleazar, who will help us do it. All right. So the only, I mean, sorry. So the connection I want to make here, another connection, right, is Haran, Haran has a son named Lot. He's the nephew of Abram. And Abram takes him on as his son. And you'll right, we'll see throughout the story. I know a lot of you know the story of Abram slash Abraham. You know that Lot plays very heavily in the whole story. And this is the like this story makes that 
intense connection make more sense to me. It's more than just Abram and his brother got along really well. And so Abram took one of the sons that, that Haran had and, and took him under his wing and took him on as his own. I think he took Lot as his own because he saw that his brother died being loyal to him. And although he didn't have an answer as to why his brother wasn't protected, but he was, he felt an obligation to take care of at least this son, Lot, that his brother had had. So he took his nephew under his wing. Abram meets up with his father and says, the Lord has told me to go and that he would, uh, he would take me to a land that he would show me later. And it's said that Terah, right, in verse 31, Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, the daughter-in-law Sarah, his, uh, the wife of the son uh, Abram, and together they set out from Er the Chaldees to go to Canaan. Why Canaan? That's, I mean, that is where Abram ends up. They were headed there starting in Genesis 11:31. They all head out together. I believe because Tara knows if we're going to if we're going to live without the scrutiny and the death threats and the constant weight of Nimrod's rulership, we need to move to a land in which Nimrod doesn't rule. That would be Canaan. That would be out of Assyria, out of Babylon, out of all of these amazing cities, it's a beautiful, you know, fertile area. I think it is it is it called the deltas? Like there's three or four, the Tigris, the Euphrates. All of this area is all run by Nimrod. He's like, let's just head north to the land where Haran was was born, and then we'll just go all the way over the Fertile Crescent, all the way to the to the coast. And there we will we'll find a place to live because that will be outside of the realm of Nimrod. Terah, in essence, became a convert to Yahweh based on the life that his, that his son Abram was living after being discipled by Noah for 40 years. But he, he knew that if he stayed in the area and showed any disloyalty to Nimrod, he would be killed. So he moves, to, he moves north toward Canaan where... Yeah, Nimrod's day-to-day oversight would be gone. And he stops in Haran, and there he stays until until he's dead. So at 75, Abram's 75 years old. He's still in Ur of the Chaldeans, of the Chaldeans. He's in this city. He had been there probably for about 20, 25 years. He had established his family. Lot was 25 years older. Lot's establishing his business. Uh, Tara, of course, continued his business, but he was out of the daily uh, activities of the of the government. Uh, everybody is kind of getting along, moving along, uh, taking care of one another. Sarah is still barren. This is a well noted amongst those who are of spiritual mindsets that Abram, you know, his wife. Even though he believes in this monotheistic God, this Yahweh of of the ancient ways, right? This is this is the ancient world now. To Abram, you know, Abram is continuing the ancient uh, belief in in the Creator and Yahweh God, the God of light, the God of love, the God of hope, 
But even though he's, you know, believing all this and, and the rumors, you know, now it's moved into rumor that, you know, that he was thrown into a fiery fire pit and, and walked out alive. I mean, many who saw it were un, you know, it's unbelievable. When sometimes, you know, you see a miracle and it's unbelievable. Your, your mind gets in the way of your heart. Your heart leaps with joy, leaps with excitement, leaps with understanding. Yes, this is what we're made for. Greater things, amazing things, creative things, things that are that shift the frequency of you know of what's going on, and we do it from a place of hope and love and peace. But then, you know, a year later, 10 years later, people are like, well, yeah, I you know, I did hear that story. I did, you know, my mother was there, she said it was real, but I mean, what else has happened in his life? He he moved north and you know, his wife is still, she still ain't having babies, and I don't know, like. Maybe, maybe whatever God he serves doesn't really like him. But it's there when Abram is 75 years old, after his father Terah had died at 205 years old, he's reminded to continue the journey. And the journey from the get-go, from that previous verse, verse 31, from the get-go was to get to Canaan, get out of the daily oversight of Nimrod, get out from this place that is, you know, being governed by a dictator, tyrannical dictator. Get out from this place where the culture is that of multiple gods and multiple worship worshiping of them, multiple ways in which to worship them. Go to a place where where, where we can start over. And we can focus in on this God of Noah, the God of creation. And that's what I believe this story of Genesis is all about. It's all about getting back to our, our original identity, all the way back to chapter one. We are created by the all-loving, all-light, all-good, all-the-time God, and that's the image that we are created to represent here on earth and the way that we should interact with everything on this earth and everybody on this earth. And that's all for this week on the Epic Narrative. Uh, I look forward to talking again on the next one. Oh, this story gets so good. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. This was a lot of fun. All right, I so I have uh, some thoughts regarding this week's episode. I I know that um, the story around Abraham or Abram being forced to walk through a fire or a burning coals or whatever, and he walks through and he's unharmed, and then his brother does the same thing, and he is burned to death, and that's that that's the story that as I read through the legends and the extra biblical text and that sort of thing, that's a story that makes sense as to why he was so connected to Lot and why he treated Lot like a son. Something happened to his brother. Something happened that made him take on his nephew in a, in a fathering role, in a parental role, rather than just, uh, you know, an uncle who, happened to be in the area. 
I think that I think that something happened there. So that's why I went into the uh, into that story is because when I read it, I thought, well, it could have happened. It could have happened, and and Abram might have walked through the fire and been unharmed, and and then his brother thought, hey, I'm going to try that too. I I think I'm going to follow him now instead of following all these idols that I've been working, you know, with uh, with dad about, but. But then he didn't make it, which also coincides with the basic uh, premise that the enemy is always out to kill, steal, and destroy. And he had access to that, to that, uh, to Abram's brother, and he had um, means to uh, entice him into doing something um, that would bring about death, and he did. I, I don't know. To me, it, it, it fit. But I do get it if you listen to the story and think, Bob, you're like you're like out of your out of your mind. Like you're so far off track. I don't know if I can listen anymore, and that's fine. I but if you've hung out with me, you know I I I, I could be wrong. I get that. I'm not I'm not uh I know I'm not 100 percent on this stuff. I just want the opportunity for people to to read read these stories and say, all right, what if? Well, not read them. Obviously, listen to the podcast. But when you read them in Scripture, say, what? Why was the relationship between Abram and Lot so strong? Something happened, and and that fantastical story kind of fit for me. I mean, the other the other uh, thing I wanted to touch on was the passion that Abram had for a monotheistic God had to come from somewhere. And again, for me, the 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 stories that I read, the legends, the the arch the not archaeological, the the ancient texts that say that he was sent to Noah to be raised for at least some say up to forty years. Some some say only ten years. Doesn't matter. He was instructed somewhere about a monotheistic God because he was he was ready to follow that God where, wherever he led. And his, but, you know, his father was a priest. His father designed and, and perpetrated idols on people. It, like he did not come from a heritage of a monotheistic God. He did not come from a place where Yahweh was worshipped. So he had, to, he had to pick it up somewhere. It makes sense that he pick it up from Noah. It's also interesting on a side note. That that if he was there during that time period, the last 50 years or so of Noah's life, he might have been there a few episodes ago when the brothers were all called in to do have an intervention because you know because Noah was hitting the sauce a little hard and uh, and basically the neighbors called and said, hey, you got to come do something with your dad because he is he is drinking a lot of wine all day all night. He can't get himself together, so the brothers came in and did that. And, of course, we talked about the, the curse that he put on Ham that he didn't have to put on, on Ham, but the brothers didn't have to follow through on obeying it either. They could have just said, you know what, Dad, you're hungover, you're tired, let's call it a day. But that's that was already covered in details several episodes ago. But it's in concept. It's interesting to me that Abram could have been there for that event and been uh, possibly in the area or maybe even saw uh, Noah kind of going into an alcoholic uh, 
pattern of life uh, toward the end. But anyways, he came back. He followed Yahweh. He listened to Yahweh. He was not afraid uh, about the ramifications that that would have in a culture of fear and control that was designed and and executed by Nimrod, and of course facilitated and and supported by his father. But his father, I think, honored what he had been taught by Noah and honored the fact that um, there really was only one God. I mean, if anybody knew that the idols were fake, it would have been Abram's father who was out there inventing them. So, yeah, those are my thoughts today. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I look forward to next week, of course, every week. It's a blast on the Epic Narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.